Thank you, Pastor. Thank you so much. What a joy and a pleasure it is to be back with you this evening. They'll work on that. <laughs> They'll have that settled in just a second. And it's a good crowd tonight. What a wonderful crowd. It's so great to see you. It's a wonderful thing to be out on a night like this, drizzly rain, and besides, what else could you find to do better than this? I remember over in France one time, a fellow said to me, he got kind of upset with me because I was talking to him about church, and I couldn't do this because I was going to be at church, and I was trying to get him in church, and he, he got upset with me, and he says, don't you ever do anything else besides go to church? Is that all you ever do? And I told him, and I feel the same way today, I said, I guarantee you, don't worry about it. If I ever find anything better to do than go to church, I promise I'll do it. <laughs> and that, that's still true today. When I find something better to do than going to church and being in the house of God with God's people, I guarantee you, I'll go do it. But that's been a, a few years now I've been walking with the Lord, and I haven't found anything better yet. Just being right here with people like you in the house of God to be with a God like him. How could I ask for anything better other than having my little wife sitting there beside me? That would have been the only way to have made it better tonight to be with you here in this church. Thank God for you. I've enjoyed the fellowship with you around the tables out here in the, the vestibule, our different display tables, but also around the tables in the fellowship hall. It's been great. We've had a wonderful time. And I've enjoyed so much being with the Judds. They've been taking good care of me, Brother Jerry and his wife. And and uh, very comfortable, very quiet and peaceful out there. Uh, twice I've had to slow down and dodge the deer as they run across the road in front of me and uh, getting in and out. Uh, I must dodge them better than Jerry has, but I shouldn't say that <laughs> because <laughs> I probably won't do so good going home at night. But uh, it's just uh, so great to be here with you again and to be so well taken care of by your pastor and by the people of this church. But we're here this evening to see one more passage from the word of scripture, from the word of God. One more thought that comes from his word. And I want to talk to you this evening, just a moment, as after we have a word of prayer, about what pushes these missionaries to go out around the world uh, on the mission field to serve God. I want to talk to you tonight about what pushes them. Why do they go? What is it behind them, that pushing factor that puts them to the place to where they just cannot stay at home? They have to get out and go. What is it? We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But before we open our Bibles, would you pray with me, please? Our dear Heavenly Father, tonight we do come realizing that we can do nothing unless you actually do it through us. If we try to do anything at all decent and good here tonight in our own flesh and in our own power and spirit, then we'll fail. And the only thing that will last forever, the only thing that will be good, the only thing that will be uh, worthwhile that comes out of these meetings will be when you do it. We pray that you'll work in our hearts and our lives and help us tonight to follow your leadership, to follow your will exactly the way you give it to us tonight. Help us to be totally submissive, just submitted, submitted to you and to be able to say, Father, whatever, anywhere, whatever, whatever you ask, whatever you want, anywhere you want us to do it, we give ourselves to you. And that's true for the ones that go to distant shores, that's for, good for the the ones right here that stay at home. It's good for all of us to be totally, totally submissive to you. Won't you bless us and be with us now as we spend some time in your word and in your presence. Talk to our hearts. Speak to us, we pray. In that precious name of Jesus, amen. Amen. I would like to ask you this evening to think about John 3.16. You don't have to turn to that. I'd be very surprised if you did have to. 
And to think about John 3.16, and as you look at that verse, to be able to see the world. See the world through John 3.16. And I, I still miss so many things that we don't get to do on a daily, weekly basis with our French people like we did before. And when I arrived in France and didn't know French, I couldn't... All these Bible verses I'd memorized through the years, I, didn't, I couldn't use a one of them. They were all gone. I mean, they were in my mind, but I couldn't speak French, so I didn't know a single Bible verse. I didn't know how to say Old Testament, New Testament, didn't know how to say the books of the Bible, and didn't know how to say anything in French. And so I had to start totally from scratch and learn everything from scratch. And it was a special pleasure when I was able to learn enough to memorize John 3.16. Car Dieu a tant aimé le monde. Qu'il a donné son Fils unique afin que quiconque croit en lui ne périsse point, mais qu'il ait la vie éternelle. Jean 3, 16. It still speaks to my heart in a very special way. Just as it will these folks, as they say that verse, learn that verse, give that verse in the different languages where they'll be across the planet and the others that have gone out from this church to the mission field in the same way. And if we were to have different people stand up and take the time tonight, which we shouldn't try to do, but if we did have people stand up and those that could give it in a different language, whether it was Spanish or, or uh, Italian or German or whatever, I know that we would get a, a blessing out of hearing it, though we might not be able to understand a word of it. It's just a blessing, John 3.16. I want to talk to you about something about that verse that does push us into doing things that we wouldn't do otherwise if that verse did not exist. I got started thinking about this when I was reading in a book by an old British author, and I, I enjoy the British authors. I like to read, and I like to read the old British authors. And there was a fellow that lived from the late 1800s into the early 1900s, and he was British, but he pastored for many years in Australia, and he was traveling through the outback of Australia, going from Melbourne to Sydney. And far out in the desert there, there was not a house in sight. There was nothing in sight, in totally remote area. And uh, as they came along the way in this train, as it was moving along, the train was moving along at a good pace until it came to a very sharp curve where it took this curve and was heading up a very steep hill. And at that curve and that hill, it slowed down tremendously. And as it did slow down, the pastor, this preacher from England that was there in Australia, he looked out the window and he saw this boy that had been waiting about 10 or 12 years old, was waiting in the shade of some bushes alongside the tracks because everything was barren and desert land out there. But he was waiting in the shade of these bushes for that train. And as the train slowed down, he jumped out of those bushes and ran alongside the train, and he began to holler out. And I can't quote word for word everything that happened in this story, but this is the gist of what happened. He was hollering out, Newspapers! Newspapers! Toss me your newspapers, please! And the people of the train... It was hot. They had the windows down and were tossing the newspapers out to them, sometimes rolled up, sometimes tied together with a little string. They were tossing out newspapers, and as the train left the area, there were newspapers all the way down the tracks that this boy was gathering up quickly, happily, so happy you could see by his face, to gather up those newspapers. And this preacher couldn't help but ask the conductor what this was all about. He was very curious about this. And he says, well, you can't see it, but over the hills over there, there's a small town, a village, if you wish. And that boy comes, every time this train comes through, it's not every day, but a time or two a week when it comes through, he'll come out to the tracks and he'll holler for those papers. I've seen him do that many times. And he'll holler for the papers and he'll round them up and he'll take them into that village. 
and you'll sell them for a few pennies apiece. Just a few pennies apiece, but you'll make a little money that way. Out there, that's just one of the few ways that little fellow can make some money. So he'll round them up and he'll take them to the town and sell them to the people for a few pennies apiece. And this preacher thought, well, how strange that was that here people were willing to pay money for a used newspaper that was several days old. By the time they got it out there and it had traveled from the towns as they went along the the train routes and, and yet they were interested in paying money for a paper that was several days old. And how curious that was. And that got him to thinking, that got me to thinking about how different man is from so many other things in the world. Because you see, out there, even in that little village, even in that place remote in the distant backlands of of Australia, the people just had to know what was going on in the world. They just had to know what was going on elsewhere. They weren't just satisfied in knowing that uh, farmer so-and-so's cow finally calved last, last night and had that calf he'd been waiting on for several days. They weren't happy just to know that. They were glad to know that, but they wanted to know what was happening back in the capital. They wanted to know what was happening in London and, and Paris and, and across the ocean in different places. They, they had to know. They just had to know. That's why they were willing to pay money for a newspaper that was several days old and this boy could make money that way. So why did they yearn that way? They were content with their village, but man just cannot be content with living in a tiny, small space of his life. He has to know that there's a hunger there to know what's going on elsewhere in the world. And you see, if, I believe that sincerely that if man has this desire born in him, it's because we are totally different from the animal world. You don't find that in the animal world. Man is different that way. And there's a reason why we're different that way. We saw a picture a moment ago, briefly, of a lion there in Africa, this beautiful male lion that was walking across the image of the picture just for a brief moment. But I have no doubt that there's not a lion in Africa that's ever been walking across the savannah of Africa that's been thinking in his mind, I wonder how my cousins, the Bengal tigers, are doing up in Bangladesh and India. I wonder how they're doing up there. I don't believe there's ever been a lion one time that had that thought cross his mind. You go down to the Smokies of Tennessee and you'll see some of the most beautiful eagles flying over part of the Smoky Mountains there in Tennessee. And yet, I don't believe that there's ever been a time that one of those majestic, beautiful eagles flying over the Smoky Mountains down in Tennessee has ever one time said, I wonder how my cousins are doing out in the Rockies. Flying over the Rockies like I'm flying over the Smokies. I wonder how they're doing out there. I don't think it's ever happened one time that one of those beautiful eagles was wondering what was going on with their cousins out there in the West. Because, you see, God didn't make them the way he made you and me. There's a world of difference between the way they're made. Over in Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, and you know this passage. You can turn and look if you wish. This is about the days of creation. This is why you are different, we are different, from any animal you want to look at and talk about. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, this is where the difference came in. Right here in this passage, Genesis 1 Verses 26 and 27, he says this, And God said, Let us, there's the Trinity, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, 
and uh, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And he said, I'm going to create man. But he did something with man that he didn't do with any animal on the face of the earth. He created, created man in his image. You and I, as much as we find that hard to believe, are made in the image of God. I find that hard to believe that God would want to even remotely claim me as his own. When he looks at me and sees me, what I am, the way I am, and, and all the rest, it amazes me that God would even want to claim me in any way as part of, part of him and part of his family. But he does. Because he loves me. But when God had that pile of dust there on the ground and he was about to form Adam, he did something with Adam he didn't do with any animal. Not a horse, not a cow, not a deer, not a, a thing on the face of the earth except that pile of dust out of which he made Adam. As the Bible says that God leaned over that, that lifeless pile of dust, that lifeless form. And the Bible says that God went... <laughs> and breathed into the nostrils of Adam, part of himself. And he became, the Bible says, a living soul. He didn't do that with the animals. That's why it's not murder to kill an animal. It's murder to kill a living soul. And God put something of himself into man from that very first day in the Garden of Eden, right up through today, into you and to me. We have that part of God that's in us, and part of that part is John 3.16. He did that here in Genesis, but in John 3.16, what we were just talking about, it said that God so loved the world. Not a part of the world, not a people. It didn't say that God so loved the nation of Israel. It didn't say that God so loved the, the Caucasians. It didn't say that God so loved uh, this type of people or that type of people or this nation of people, that nation of people. God doesn't see the frontiers and the borders like you and I see. He doesn't see the races and the differences like you and I see. God sees souls. He sees that, he sees that all of our blood is red. He sees that every one of us have a soul that's identical in the sense that we have souls that, that when they go to heaven, they're not going to go to heaven from this country or from that country. They're going to physically die in one country and their soul go to heaven. But when we get to heaven, we're not going to go there and, and say, oh yeah, you're from so-and-so and you're from so-and-so. We're all, it's not where we're from, it's where we are that's going to make the difference when we get to heaven. And God says that there's something in us that he put in us right from the very first man that ever lived. And that is something about the world. For God so loved the world. My thoughts this evening are just basically simple thoughts. The first thought is simply this, that we see man does have a thirst to know the world. Turn over to Ecclesiastes, if you will. Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and of course you can find that easily, just right after the book of Proverbs, Psalms and Proverbs, and you'll find it there very easily. Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, if you will, please. Chapter 3. And verses 10 and 11, just those two verses, 10 and 11. Ecclesiastes, I'll, I'll let you have time to find this and to see it. It's very simple. A very simple thought that comes out of this. But when I came across that myself one day, I said, well, that explains it. That's, that explains why man is the way he is. Ecclesiastes 3, verses 10 and 11, he says this. And the verse we'll see especially is in verse 11. But he says in verse 10, I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men... To be exercised in it. 
He hath made everything beautiful in his time, and notice this, also he hath set the world in their heart. So that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. He hath set the world in their heart. You see, if these young people are leaving our shores today to go across the oceans and go serve God across the seas to other countries, it's because God has set the world in their hearts. They weren't satisfied to just know what was going on in their hometown, their home village, about so-and-so's cow that just calved that he's been waiting on for so long and all these other things, and so-and-so just bought a new car and swapped cars. They're not satisfied just to know the things right around them at home because God set the world in their hearts. And if we have the world in our hearts today, it's because God put it there. And God wants it there. God knows there's a need for it to be there for us to have the world in our heart. It is God that put that thirst in us to know more than what's just going on across the street or down the road. God put that desire in there. And if you don't believe that man wants to know what's going on around the world, then you young people disturb your father when he's watching the evening news sometime and see, see how much he wants to know what's going on around the world. Go away, son. Don't bother me for another half hour. I'm in the news, you know. My dad, there were certain times I didn't bother him. And one of them, when he was watching the evening news, he wanted to know what was going on around the world. This is something God put in us. He has set the world in their hearts. Earlier, we also saw in the presentation something about David Livingston. And we know the story, the famous story of when Henry Stanley trekked for months and months through Africa trying to find David Livingston. Nobody's seen David Livingston or heard from him for actually a couple or three years. That's why Henry Stanley went out there, a news reporter, to find Livingston. And we know the, the old famous story about when he found him and he had those famous words that you've heard repeated about Dr. Livingston, I presume, you know, when he spent months and months in the most miserable conditions just trying to find him. But there's more to the story than just that. Because from what I've read in, in some of my readings on this, this subject, and here again, I can't quote him word for word, but as best as I could, I put down what was given. And it said simply that after they met and got through their first greetings and, and Henry Stanley had found him, after months of search and a tremendous expense, he found Dr. Livingston and, and they had their greetings and they, they uh, just talked like that for a moment to where are you from, what are you doing, and all these different things. And, and then after just a few moments, he wanted to, to talk to Livingston about the things he'd been doing there. And he, says, he said to him this, he says, well, that's not what I want right now, Stanley. He said, would you please tell me all the news of the world? Tell me what's going on in the world. And Stanley was shocked and surprised. And he told him, he says, but Dr. Livingston, I have letters here for you from your family back home. I have letters for you from royalty back home. I have these things that I was asked to bring with me to give to you. Don't you want to sit down and read these letters from back home, from family and royalty and friends back home that, that wanted me to convey these thoughts to you? And he says, I can get to them later. He says, I've, I've been waiting for months and months and literally a couple of years to be able to receive mail like that. He says, I can wait a little longer for that, but I want you to sit down. I've waited for years for that news to come. I want you to tell me what's been going on in the world. If you've been in news, the newspapers, then you know about those things. And so the story goes that Stanley sat down with him and he told him everything he could think of in the last couple of years of important news. And he told Dr. Livingston about how here in America, they had a railway that went from the East Coast to the West Coast and 
joined them together with that one golden spike out there in the west. He told them about the invention of the electric cable that Livingston had never heard of. He told them about the siege of Paris. He told them about the Franco-Prussian War and many, many more things that had happened in the days and times that Livingston had not heard a thing. And after telling him all these things, Dr. Stanley said later that Dr. Livingston just sort of pushed himself back and looked up with a smile of satisfaction on his face. And he said this, he said, Stanley, you have brought to me a new life. Why? Because he just learned about a few things that had happened. He just learned about a few facts and incidents and things of history about these different things that we spoke of. He says, you have brought to me a new life. Because even there in the heart of Africa, doing the job he was doing, the work he was doing, he still just had to know what was going on in the world. And before he even read those letters from family and friends back home, he wanted to just hear about the events of the world. Because God has set the world in our hearts. Man is made that way. We have to know. We need to know. Man has that thing in him. But the second thought is simply that we've got to remember that if we have that thought in us, it came from God. It truly did come from God. We've looked at this to a certain extent, but take a look at another passage, if you will, that goes a little farther in this. Why it is and how it is that we have that in us. Look over in the Gospel of John, if you will, please. In John chapter 4, John chapter 4, and beginning in verse 41, just the two verses, 41 and 42. John chapter 4. You see, God is not just the Savior of a certain area, When God speaks about what he did to save souls, he brings the word world into it time after time after time. World, the world. For God so loved the world, we keep coming back to in John 3.16. And here in John chapter 4, verse 41, he starts off by saying this in verse 41, And many more believed because of his own words, and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, For we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Not just the Savior of Israel, not just the Savior of a nation or a people, but the Savior of the world. You cannot talk about the love of God without talking about the world. You cannot talk about the need without talking about the need of the world. You can't talk about the need to go without talking about going to all the world. He They said, we realize now that this is Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Notice a little farther on in chapter 6. Chapter 6, still there in John. Chapter 6, in verses 32 and 33, he says something very similar. Chapter 6, in verse 32, he says this. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world, to the world. You see, the world comes into it all the time. That's why a church that doesn't believe in missions is is totally neglecting what God has put within the heart of every person sitting in every pew. When God puts this into our hearts, he doesn't put it into just the pastor's heart or just into a select number of people's hearts like the missionaries going out. He puts the world in the heart of every single person in that church. Every single one of his children has received that from God. We can neglect it or we can 
work it over like a farmer in his field. We can produce something from it. We can work it in a good way like a farmer works and, and labors out in his field. We can neglect it or we can make it become fruitful. We can do something with it, what God gives us. So many times in my life I was given things, I didn't realize the value of the thing. Didn't know how to use it, didn't use it properly, and didn't get the good out of it that I could have. It was something good. I could have gotten some good from, thing, from the thing, but I didn't see the, the importance of it. And sometimes I neglected some of the good things that were put within my reach, within my hands. And because of my ignorance of the matter and the subject, I, I didn't, profit from it like I could have and should have. But God has put something in our hearts. It's the world he's put in our hearts because he has the world in his heart. And we can neglect it or we can produce something out of that. We can work it up like a farmer works his fields and produce something glorious and wonderful with that. Or we can neglect it. You can go anywhere you want. You can go out to Kansas where you have an ocean of waving grain in the fields out there. You can go out there in the summertime and late summer and early fall and find a farm boy out there that as far as he can look, as far as he can see, they're waving grains of, in the fields there and, and he feels right at home. He's never been to the ocean. He's never seen the ocean, never heard the ocean. All he knows about the ocean is what he's read or what he's seen on TV. Doesn't know a thing about it. But you can take that same boy and come up to him and put a, a seashell up to his ear. <laughs> One of those big conch shells and put it up to his ear and ask him to tell me what you hear. Try to imagine what you're hearing there. And as he puts that big old seashell to his ear, and this is what we've said many times, and I, I couldn't believe it until I did it myself, that you can hear the ocean. You can hear if you take a big old seashell, a conch shell, and put it up to your ear, you'll hear a sound that will make you think of the wave the waves of the ocean lapping up on a shore somewhere. And in that boy's mind, in that boy's mind, he wasn't standing in a grain field of, of wheat or oats or corn or whatever it was out there. He's not there anymore. He can close his eyes, and even though he's never been there, he could see that ocean. He could see those waves lapping up on the beach. And in his mind's eye, with that shell to his ear, he could imagine that. He could see that. As a boy, I could. I remember... That happening to me when I was just a boy and I had not seen the ocean, never been there before, but I, I could see it in my mind's eye because I could hear it in my ear because there's something in a man that will make him do that. Because that happened to me one time as a boy, I took our old faithful dog one time and I took the shell to my dog and I said, see if you can hear this. I called him Tag and I said, Tag, listen to this. And I put it up to his ear and he pulled away. I Caught, pulled him back and I put it up to his ear again and he, he, he growled and pulled away and looked fearful and he ran from me. I couldn't catch him and make him do that and as long as I had that in my hand he would not come to me because that scared him. There was a sound there that scared him. There was a, something that happened there that he didn't understand. He didn't know. He, he couldn't comprehend what was going on and so he would run from me as long as I had that in my hand when I got rid of it he would come to me and I could pet him and talk to him again. But as long as I had that in my hand, he wouldn't come because God did not put the world in his heart. It wasn't in him like it is in you and me. We cannot live as human beings, lost or saved, without having a, an understanding of the world that doesn't exist anywhere else but in your heart and in mine. You know, the Britisher can love his motherland, and the German will love his Vaterland, and certainly the French will love their patrie. 
That's where their, their national anthem starts. Les enfants de la patrie. The children of the the children of the patrie, that's just their word for their motherland, their fatherland. That's their, the way they express their feelings toward their country. La patrie, les enfants de la patrie. Because that's that word patrie. That's, it means something to a Frenchman. Then when they talk about la France or when they talk about la nation, that's, that's one thing. But when they talk about la patrie, when a Britisher talks about the motherland, when a father... A German talks about the Vaterland, and, and we talk about our country in very special ways of tender, touching care. But only God can talk about every one of them equally, equally. God can talk about any people, any nation, any country with equal love, with equal care, with equal burden and desire for them to be reached with the gospel. God does not love America more than he loves Gambia. He does not love America more than he loves any other country. Thank God that the gospel has been well received here. And God knows that. He sees that and he appreciates that. He loves that. But God loves people. Doesn't care what country. Doesn't care what country, what nation, what language, what color. He loves people. And that's why a little song that we sing with our French folks and with our French children. And you know the song. You'll recognize the title. Dieu... Jésus aime tous les enfants, oui, tous les en, petits enfants, rouge, jaune, noir et blanc, il les aime tendrement. Jésus aime les enfants, tous les enfants. You know the tune that Jesus loves all the children of the world, and it says, red and yellow, black or white, they are precious in his sight, because he doesn't see the colors. He doesn't see the colors. I don't know if you saw this on TV one time. I was getting ready for uh, church one Sunday morning back around last March. And uh, before uh, leaving the house, back in the bedroom, we have a little TV over in the corner of the bedroom. And I was catching the morning news while I was getting dressed. And they came on with a little human interest story there that was so cute. It was just incredible. You'd have to see it to believe it. But the newsman went down, I think it was over to southern Alabama, and there in a, in a school, there were these two boys, and uh, as I wasn't paying really close attention at the start because I was trying to get dressed and get ready, but when I saw what was going on, it got my attention, and I stopped to watch a second, but I missed a little bit of it. It's southern Alabama. They were in a school. I think they were about nine or ten years old. But here were these two boys, and, they, and they, they had film there. They were filming. They were showing the boys. They were just so happy and smiling. Two boys, about nine or ten years old, the biggest old smiles you ever want to see in your life. Smiles like you just can't believe. And, and they were showing pictures of them in school together, and their arm around their shoulders, and their arm around the other shoulder, and their heads together like that, you know, and just the best of buddies, the very best buddies in the world. And they had a little plot. They had a plan. They, they planned to do together. And they said, you know, our teacher... If we dress the same and cut our hair the same, she won't be able to tell us apart. They, this really happened. It was so cute. They said, they, she won't be able to tell us apart. And so they said, they, with the parents' approval, they got dressed in the same clothes. They went to a barber shop. Both of them got their hair just sort of brush cut off. And their hairs were was exactly cut the same. Same basic type of clothes. And they went to the teacher one day at school. And they said, I bet you can't tell us apart. You don't know which one we are now, do you? And she laughed. And she said, are you teasing me? Are you, are you really kidding? I said, no, you can't tell us apart now, can you? Well, she could. Because one boy was as black as coal and the other was white as a sheet of paper. <laughs> I kid you not. 
the one boy was as black as coal, and the other boy was as white as a sheet of paper. And they didn't know it. And they didn't know it. They were colorblind to each other. They were colorblind to each other, and God, I believe, is colorblind in a, in a respectful way. I'm saying that, you understand. What a blessing that was to see that precious article on television. And some people say television has nothing good. Well, that's about the 1% of good that you'll find or something like that. <laughs> but that tickled my heart, that blessed my heart, that these two boys were such good buddies that they didn't even realize they were not of the same race. Isn't that wonderful? If we could just see the world that way, red or yellow, black or white, they are precious in his sight because that's the way God sees them. Because God put something in you and me that he wants us to see them the way he sees them. And that's why missionaries go. Let me close on this one last thought briefly is that we just simply need, and that's why I was just entering into in that thought, we need to see the, the love of God for the world and have that same love for them. To see the world and love the world the way God loves them. You know, when you love somebody, you'll give without reserve for the one you love, won't you? If you really love that person, you don't count the cost. You just love them and give when the need is there, when there's something to do to, to give. You just do it because uh, you love the person. And that's what God is looking for, is for people that will uh, not just give financially, but of themselves. To love the world the way God is loving. When God loved the world, what did he give? The very best he had. When God gave the Lord Jesus, he gave the most precious thing he had, his only begotten son. There's a flower shop I drive by uh, pretty often in our town. It's on the way back and forth to several places where I have to go, like Office Depot and things like that. And so I drive in front of it every once in a while. And for a birthday or uh, Mother's Day, Valentine's, whatever. Sometimes I'll stop and pick up flowers. But one day I was coming close to the shop. I knew it was there, of course. And I, I just had the impulse to stop. There was nothing going on, no occasion. It wasn't Mother's Day. It wasn't Valentine's. I just wanted to stop and get some flowers for Margie. And so I uh, went in and, uh, and I asked for a half a dozen red roses, fixed up real nice with all that green stuff and all the other things they put with it, you know, how they make it look so nice and, and give me up a nice bouquet of of red roses, a half a dozen of them, real pretty like that, long stem things, that, the way ladies like it, you know. And the, she was happy to do it, and the lady behind the counter, and there's another one over at the other end of the counter, was all ready and all tied up with a pretty ribbon and ready to go. And she says, okay, she's making out the ticket. She says, now, well, we've got these cards here. What kind of a card would you want? Is this for a birthday? I says, no, no. She says, oh, well, well, a wedding anniversary? I said, no, it's not that either. She said, well, it's not Mother's Day, and we're not near... Uh, Valentine's Day, so what's the occasion? I said, well, I guess it's just because. Just because. Because it's my wife, and I love her, and I want her to know it, I guess. It's, it's just because. And you know, she laid down her pen and looked at the later lady beside her. She says, you know, them's the best kind. <laughs> that's the way she put it. She looked at the other That's the way she put it. She said, them's the best kind. So I took the flowers home to my wife and walked in, and she was over at the stove or something in that corner of the kitchen, and I took the flowers over to her, and she saw them and smiled very big. She said, well, what's the occasion? And I said, well, it's just because. Just because it's you. She said, oh, that's nice. And that was nice. And I got a big sugar out of that one, <laughs> you know. And uh, so, you know, I thought that was nice. She got them all fixed up in a nice vase and everything. I didn't think more, any more about that part. But the next day, 
I was out doing something, came back to the house, and I walked in the, the I'd been gone for two or three hours, and I came in, and there was this beautiful, inviting, homemade, fresh apple pie sitting on the table. I said, man, honey, what's the deal with the apple pie? She said, oh, that's just because. <laughs> it's just because. And you know, sometimes in life, the best things in life are the ones that are just because. Just because. Just because it's you. Just because it's them. Just because God loves them. Just because God loves them. Just because he wants us to love them. For God so loved the world. And God always gives the best he's got. He wants us to give the best we've got. It doesn't mean just necessarily the amount of the figure you turn in for faith promise. It just means the best of your heart. The best of your life. The best of what you can do. The best of what you can do in and through this church. To make people hear the gospel of Christ. To make this church advance in the gospel of Christ. To help people to get saved. To help this church go forward. To just give the best of what we got just because. Because God is worth it. Because it's for him. We shouldn't have to count the cost if we're doing it for him. Because he loves us that way. He loves us so much. And if we do, we'll quit living for ourselves. We'll be ready to give what it takes to get the gospel out. Just like these young people are giving of themselves right to the very nth degree of themselves. Some of our missionary friends don't make it back from the missionary field. They don't always make it back from the mission field. We've had several friends that passed away on the field and a good friend that passed away in Ghana years ago in a car accident, another friend in a car accident, another one by cancer. Sometimes we don't always make it back. But, you know, just like the Apostle Paul didn't die at home, did he? He died in Rome as he lopped off his head. We go because God says go. He, didn't, he said we have to go. He didn't say we had to return. And so we go. We go. And God is saying, my son came home, but only after he died and paid the ultimate price. And he says, God so loved the world. Why do we need to love the world? Because he has put the world in our hearts, just the way he has the world in his heart. He wants us to love the way he loves. Is there a place in your heart, in your life, where you could maybe do better in loving the world, lost souls, the way God does? It could be that God has spoken to you tonight and, and shown you that, well, you know, I've been a, a good church member. I've been coming here and doing this and that, but I know my heart is not on fire for God the way it could be and should be. But I want God to help me with his help to be able to love souls and people the way he does. Has God spoken to you tonight to say, I can do better with God's help. I know I can do better and I want to do better. And with God's help, I will do better in loving the world for God so loved the world. I'm so glad he did because if he didn't love the world, he could have stopped before he got to me. Because he loved the world, he loved it far enough to reach me and you. And he wants us to do the same, to love the world the way he has. Pastor, would you like to come this evening, please? I always like the pastor to take the invitation time. He likes to do it the way he knows is best for the church. Thank you, Pastor. Join me in standing across the auditorium. Join me in standing across the auditorium.